When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's good, fam? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. It has creation tools to help you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or from your computer. Anchor will even help distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast, it's all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Dead Sun Podcast, episode two. First of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you for selecting this audio experience. I know there's a ton of content out there that is vying for your attention, and it is not lost on me that uh, your time is valuable, so I intend to add value. So episode two, if I have my sound effects, I'll put some claps in. Got to learn to celebrate the, uh, the small things, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm more excited uh, for this episode than I was the first. And I hope that trajectory continues as we go through this pro- podcast process, if I could talk. So episode one, thank you for your feedback. If you haven't checked it out, Please, at some point, go back and listen. It'll give you a little bit more reference as to uh, what this podcast is about. So this podcast journey is essentially an exploration of my communication style with my my sons. Why is it like that? How can I improve it? What things that I could do to work on myself? What information can I get from other men from their fatherhood story that might uh, open my eyes to a different way to communicate more effectively with my sons, because that's very important to me. Uh, so I'll be looking at my fatherhood story, which I went into in episode one. Check that out as you have time and start to peel back some of the layers as to as to how I arrived where I am today. Um, document where we're going and just be transparent. And hopefully it, it uh, hopefully it helps somebody. Maybe it gives words to some behaviors that that you may have noticed in in the way that you parent or just the way that you conduct yourself as a man that'll help you maybe start peeling back some of the layers in your life and figure out where you can apply some of this information to uh, just to deal better as a man. So last week we talked about the fact that I had began to put distance between my father and I and the feedback that I got is that that's not a very uncommon thing. So I am thankful to know that I am not alone in this. I didn't think I was, but it's reassuring to know that I wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, this isn't a very unique thing and it's something that, that there's some commonality, uh, with other men that, that, that's, share some of the sentiment uh, that I expressed last week. But it caused me to 
go a little bit deeper into my relationship with my son. I look at it a little bit uh, deeper and more intentionally. And I thought back to a time when we only had three children. So right now we have five. We're only going to have five children, no matter when you're listening to this podcast or watching the video. But at the time, we only had three, two girls and one boy. So, um, and my, my son at that time was the baby of the family. My wife and I both worked. We both had pretty, I would say, relatively stressful jobs. My job was, my, my wife was a pharmacy tech, so she worked in a, a local hospital, um, making drugs, making medicine uh, for various applications in a hospital. Um, I, I was doing then what I'm doing now. I'm in supply chain for a government contractor and did a lot of international work, still, still do today. And it was quite fast-paced, very demanding. And it was one of those situations where you know, you got to do less with more. We didn't have the luxury of a lot of staff. So you had to pull your weight. So that was very stressful. And uh, like I said, very demanding of on my life at the time. And I was good at it. I was really, really good at my job. And I found myself, I found that that became my identity. It like it was the one thing that that I had a lot more control over in my life than anything else, right? Raising a family, if you're doing that uh, as a married couple or co-parenting, or with a village, you know that there's a lot of inputs that go into that. But my job was was something that that I could I could put the work in and I could see the reward in real time. So that became my focus, almost to my detriment, is ensuring that the job got done almost to, you know, to the point of sacrificing other things in my life. And I would, I would really, I would bring the job home, but I wouldn't talk about it. So they created this dynamic of me always looking like I'm stressed out, looking like I'm upset about something and I'm just processing things for my job. And, you know, I would actually come home from work. I work nine and 10 hours in the office. And then I come home, interact with my family for a short period of time. And then I jump back on my lap- laptop, get laptop, if I could talk and get back to work. Right. Because those were the things that were important. And anything that distracted me from work became an annoyance. So, um, and this is not something that I'm praising or, or recommending as a course of action. This is just me being transparent and helpfully, helpfully, hopefully it helps someone that may be at this point in their, uh, their, their fatherhood journey where they're coming to that crossroad of job versus family. My wife and I at the, during this time had op basically opposite, opposite work schedules. We were, what did they say? Ships passing in the night. I'm coming. She's going. 
you know, she had to be to work very, very early, which would lead me to get the kids ready and off to school in the morning, uh, which I don't know how single parents do it consistently. So salute to all single parents, but just being alone with your kids, trying to get them ready for school. Like that's a job. Like you feel like you work off an eight hour day before you go work your eight hour day, just corralling the kids, getting them off to school, um, in the morning. So I, I know people do that all the time and that's nothing to really complain about, but salute to, to the parents, the single parents that, that take on this responsibility and do it successfully. Anything that gets me off schedule annoys me. And as you can imagine, dealing with kids in the morning, nothing's going to be perfect. There's no day that's going to be perfect. Something's going to happen. And the kids are young at this, at this stage. I believe they were five, seven and nine roughly during this period. And, you know, we, you, you, you do your best, you get them out to, I get them off to school every day and then, I can go to work and really deal with the stress for that day. Come home, rinse and repeat, right? Well, I remember this one particular instance where my wife either had to work. I can't recall if it was just her normal go to work early or she had to work overnight, but she was not home. And it was at a time where the kids would should be asleep. So, like I said, either she had already left and gone to work and it was still, you know, dark out and, you know, the kids were still, it was still a time where the kids should be sleeping. But my son starts crying and I wake up and I can hear him in the next room and he's just, you know, it's the, the, um, the race car deal right <laughs> you know it's it's like like it's almost uncontrollable um and i hear him and i say hey son you know knock it off that's my response it, by the way trigger warning just i'm gonna throw that out there this is not one of my more proud moments but he keeps crying i get louder i say son what is it and he's like, I, 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 I want, I want, I want mommy. It, it was that thing, right? That's the race car thing that I was talking about. And I said, she's not here. You need to go to sleep, son. Okay. Then he keeps crying, keeps crying. Now I am super annoyed because it's throwing my sleep pattern off. And my sleep pattern is bad. Then I'm going to have a bad day at work, right? Remember, I was making work important that it become my identity because that was a thing that I did pretty well. So I go in the room where he is and I say, Hey, knock it off, go to sleep. He actually can't because he's so, um, anxious about whatever had happened. He, he, he literally cannot stop crying and go to sleep. I go back in my room, try to go back to sleep. He's still crying. I said, son, you know, I, I yelled it at this point. I said, come in here now. Right. So he comes into the room, still sniffling, and he gets into the bed. I said, 
go to sleep. I don't want to hear anything else. Is that clear? Yes, sir. So he manages to take the volume down. He's still, you know, he's he's, he's breathing. I can still tell that he's crying. But I'm like, bruh, you got to go to sleep at this point. So he, he cries himself to sleep. And we wake up the next morning. And the pillowcase is stained with blood. The night before, the reason why he was crying is because he had fallen from the bunk bed. The space between the bunk, there was a space between the bunk bed and the wall or enough where he could wiggle his way down uh, up against the wall and it scraped his face. His face was bleeding. It was it was cut. That's why he was crying. But never once did I actually assess what he needed. I just yelled at him to go to sleep because that's what he needed to do because I thought he was crying about nothing. When he wakes up in the morning, he's fine. Ready to go on about his day. You can see the, the, the cut on his, I think he had a cut on his lip and a cut on his face, but he never complained about it again. I had to sit there and deal with myself about how I dealt with the situation. And it gave me pause for a little bit. Ultimately, he went to school. I went to work. We never discussed it. And I realized then that I had really created this this expectation of my son of don't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Including crying when you're legitimately hurt. Life went on. He got older. We had more experiences. And as I thought back specifically for this podcast episode, I I started going through other examples of of how I just didn't know how to talk to my son. And I say my son specifically because I had girls first. So I was already super soft as a dad because girls, right? You can't, I mean, what do you, I I don't even know how you discipline girls. I'm half joking, but like in in terms of physically, I I couldn't do it. I mean, that, that wasn't, that's not the dad that I was. So not judging anybody that, that does it differently, but I had my son, right? So now I could be tough and I could, I could tell him things like man up or I don't know. I just, it's like I went overboard because I was so far, the pendulum was so far the other way with the girls that when I had a son, I just always talked to him like he was a man my size. 
And I had mixed feelings about when that's appropriate and when it's not. I think there is a time for it. But throughout his life, me learning to parent a a, a son and raise a uh, a young a young raise a, a young boy that would be a young man that would be able to contribute positively positively to society. I went overboard, and there's other cases throughout um, you know throughout the process of 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 rearing a son, a black son, preparing him for the world. I realized I was doing it without context. And throughout the years, I would always, when I wanted to get my son's attention, I would say it very stern, very strong, oftentimes very loud, because I wanted him to react like that. Because there will be a time in the world where he's going to have to make a split section, a split second reaction. And he's not going to have the benefit of time and a do over. And I wanted to prepare him for that. Coming into 2021. Full pandemic. And I mean, literally New Year's Eve. December 31st, 2020. My kids, the older kids, so the three from this story, plus the two more that are the eight and the six-year-old now, the older three asked to have a discussion with my wife and I. And they were very aligned in this request. And I was impressed because they were unified about whatever they wanted to talk about. And I knew it was serious. And I said, sure, what's up? You know, one thing I want to make sure is that our kids can always talk to us, right? We don't always parent right. We don't always get it right. But I'm very, very specific, uh, very intentional about ensuring that the, the door of communication is open. So I came out of the room because it's New Year's Eve and I was going to go to sleep because I'm old. I came out of the room. I said, so what's up? And um, they kind of looked at each other. Like, who's going to say it? I said, well, hey, what's up? Who, I mean, y'all called a meeting. Let's talk. Let's hear it. And... The oldest child, the oldest girl says, hey, we feel like you treat Donovan differently. I said, what do you mean? We feel like we, I mean, and I'm looking at my son and he's like nervous about the conversation, but he wanted to have the conversation. I said, what do you, what do you mean? Like, we feel like you treat him differently. I said, how so? said, well, sometimes we don't always do our chores, but if if Donovan, that's the oldest son, 
if Donovan doesn't do his, you 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 take stuff from him. And I looked at my son. I said, well, son, I need to hear from you. Is that true? He said, yes. Like, I, I don't, like, I feel like I'm always doing something wrong because of the way that you treat me. And I had to think about it. Number one, I would have never had this kind of conversation with my parents. And I have my dad on here at some point to get his perspective on if he would even felt it was appropriate. It's not that I couldn't talk to my parents, but basically saying, hey, you're doing a poor job in this area. I need you to do something about it. I don't know how that would have went over. So, we, you know, he starts to get more comfortable telling me all these things. And as, and as we're, you know, we're going through it, having a conversation, I realized he's right. I have been giving him nothing but harsh tones and serious tones and no slack for so long that I didn't even realize it was that pronounced. And then I explained it to him. I said, son, there is a difference between you and your sisters. It's a double standard. It's probably not right. But when you step out of these doors, the world sees you as it chooses to see you. It doesn't have the benefit of understanding your story, where you live, how you live, how you were raised. There are things that are going to be thrown at you because you are a black boy. You will be a black man in a society. And a lot of times you don't get do-overs. You're prejudged. And I need to make sure that you have a discipline and you recognize authority, um, especially mine, because it could be a, a life or death situation if we're out. If there's a danger that I can see that you can't and you, you, you're not prepared to respond to me immediately, you could get hurt. I could get hurt. It could put a strain on this family that I don't think you want based on the outcome of that situation. And I said, I, I hate that it is that way. But yeah, I have to be tougher on you. Because there's not as much leniency for you to figure things out in this world as there may be for your sisters. And there's challenges for them too. And, you know, it got, it got very emotional for all of us. It wasn't a dry eye in the building. And again, I was proud because they wanted to have the conversation. His sisters could see it. He was feeling it. And I had to, it's not that I owed him an explanation I owed him context. 
because there's not much that I would have done differently because when I broke it down to him, I said, son, the part that you remember is when I took the thing from you, when I removed the privilege. Do you also remember that I explained to you what this privilege means, right? You have a responsibility with this privilege. You need to do your schoolwork. You need to make sure your room is clean. You need to make sure the trash is taken out. Right. And there are multiple times where, hey, you're on your, you're on your game, but the trash is full. Oh, I, I, I forgot. I'm sure you did, but th- there's a buildup of consequences. I don't have that with your sisters. I don't have the multiple conversations about do this, do this, do this, do this. You see it aligned with you not doing your chores specifically and there's a consequence. Them not doing their chores and there's no consequence. But as we talked through it and I gave him the context, he said, I understand. Thank you for telling me. That part stung the most because all he ever wanted was to know. I come from the era of stay in a child's place. What does that mean? Hop in the comments. What what does that mean to stay in a child's place? I was never asked to be an adult. That's not my life story. I wasn't asking him to be an adult. That's not his life story. But just this whole reference to stay in a child's place. Is that does that really mean a child should not be afforded information in context? The last thing that I want is to have my son, any of my children, but specifically my son, blindly following direction not being able to think for himself. Becoming an adult, being required to think for himself and have no frame of reference how to process anything because he had to stay in a child's place. Slight tangent, but I just don't know. That's like a that's like a cop-out and we got to do something about it. I had to do something about it. Parent how you parent. But yeah, he, I mean, he was genuinely grateful that I gave him information related to the discipline. Now, has it been perfect since? Is the trash always out? Is he, you know, is he, has he slipped up since? Of course. But when I call him, it clicks. Oh, I, my bad. I, I didn't. I forgot. I was supposed to do this and I, I didn't. I apologize for it. So and it's not in the sense where he's playing me. It's. He's maturing like he's connecting the dots of. Dad is not just bugging out. He, he's trying to teach me something and instill some 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 sense of discipline in me because it's going to be important. When I get out in the world. He just wanted information. 
the reason that I brought up my job becoming my identity is because in that process of me being a provider and me being successful at work and being, being able to provide more opportunities for my family, whether that's where we live, how we live, you know, different extracurricular activities, us being able to travel. I associated that with you should, you child should understand the sacrifice that I'm making and how hard I'm working to provide this lifestyle. So you should respond by doing these other things that a child should do to show that you're grateful. And the more that I was able to provide, the bigger my expectation was of them to show gratitude by being obedient, by doing what you're supposed to do. I never connected the dots though. I just increased my expectation. So in the context of my son, the more successful I became, the less communicative, is that the right word? The less that I communicated with him verbally, I was more so communicating through buying stuff. I can afford to do this because I make X amount. So I am going to provide you this thing as a privilege to show you that I love and I care about you. In return, I want you to be disciplined. I want you to learn all these other things that I'm not teaching you. And I think a lot of that stems back to, as I addressed in episode one, me wanting to be so different, parent so differently from my dad, which was the dumbest thing. I was literally parenting my 10, 12 now teenage son the way that I wanted to be parented when I was 10, 12, or teenager. Problem is a teenager doesn't inherently know how to parent. Not that teenage parents can't be good parents, but they're teenagers. Haven't had enough of life. It's a parent. And I grew more and more frustrated when I, when I compared my son to where he was in life and where I was in life in terms of responsibility. And again, I'm just, my expectation of what he should be doing was increasing, but I never communicated it. So now I'm frustrated with him for not being what I expect him to be, but I didn't teach him how to be it. He's frustrated with me 
because he sees the frustration in my tone and the way that I look at him in disappointment. Kids pick up on that to the point where in some instances it would paralyze him because he didn't want to do the wrong thing. He didn't want to make a decision that would disappoint me. And how did I respond to that most of the time? I grew more frustrated. And then I would just do the thing that I expected him to do. You see where there's a do loop of absolutely zero growth. And if there's no handle on it, if I didn't get a handle on it, if I don't get a handle on it, what it would do to him long term. And if he decides to, uh, if he's blessed with children, if he's blessed with a son, like how that would inform the way that he parents. That's why this podcast. That's why this podcast. This is a journey for me. And please understand that I am sharing things that we are. Stories that we have worked through or that we're in a a place that's. We have a responsible enough handle on it where it's not that me sharing it isn't detrimental to my relationship with my son. Who will be on the podcast? A couple of folks have asked. Will will they ever see? The dear son, (laughs) you'll see both of them. But again, I want to lay the groundwork. Of. What this podcast is about. I hope my intent comes across. I hope it helps. Because as I release these layers, it helps me. And I'm at a point in my life now where nothing else matters more than family. God, my relationship with God. That informs how I parent, though. So it's all related. Nothing else more important. My obsession with work and it being my identity as a, you know, I've been afforded some opportunities to lead at a very high level. I've served at the highest level of my organization. And that process taught me how important or how unimportant work really is. And that's not an ungrateful statement. And that's not a, well, what if they hear it? Well, they've already heard it from me. Family is first. Anything that is impeding a successful, a healthy family relationship with anybody in my family, it's just not worth it. In the context of this podcast, we're talking about my son. So I guess my call to action would be to assess what's important to you. 
especially men with sons. They need us. They need to do more than just see us provide, see us be there at the games, see us do more than work out with them at five in the morning for the athletes and all of that. I respect all of that. Make sure you give them the actual tools to live life. Make sure you give them context with the discipline. I know that's not popular for our generation. I don't think. But it's necessary. We can't raise a generation of men that are blindly following instructions without context. Does it mean that they're going to like everything that they have to do? No. It doesn't mean that at all. And for God's sakes, don't don't not parent like I've been guilty um, because it's the easier thing to do. Trigger warning, right? All right, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. Uh, again, thank you for your feedback. Let me know in the comments. There's actually a an option on Anchor, Anchor podcast platform to leave voice notes. Leave a voice note. And maybe, not and maybe, um, it's important because if you're thinking that somebody else is too. Sidebar, this podcast was supposed supposed to happen, air quotes for those that are on audio only, September of 2020. The trailer was published a year ago, and I felt a very strong sense of urgency to do it then, and I ignored it. And the last year has been such an experience for me personally and and as a family that there was no way that I was going to sit on this for any amount of time. So it'll get polished. It'll get better. The look may change. The format may change a little bit when I'm bringing guests on because I have to do it virtually. But I'm committed to it because I have to be. The moment that I released the first episode, I got so much feedback just saying thank you. I, f- I feel I feel heard. It's something for a man to say that they feel heard. That's a whole nother episode. But this is uh this is my purpose. And I'm okay with that. So again, if there's something that you have to offer to this conversation or a topic for future conversations, please don't hold it back. Somebody needs to discuss it. Somebody uh, along with you um, will benefit from it for certain. So we're going to wrap here. I hope that I hope this was received well. I will continue to be transparent because that's the process that I have to go through. And I hope it helps. To my fellas, know that you are loved. 
know that you have heard and seen on this podcast platform. I'm here for you. I'm here for us. We got to save our sons. Peace. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.